the problem really with having we're getting last on this is is particularly with with the other Colin having gone first is that I'm I'm going to sound very much like him. A lot of what I'm going to say uh, comes from very sort of thinking, uh, very similar kind of thinking and reflection on these uh, topics. I guess um, it struck me that every time uh, Alistair Darling receives a letter from Mervyn King, uh, in a sense he's delighted because it indicates that the Bank of England hasn't made things any worse. Um, and that's really what this paper is kind of about. It's about, it's about inflation management uh, in the context of the current um, unfolding uh, dilemma. Um, okay, um, the, the recent implosion of the house price bubble, uh, if we can call it that, in the advanced liberal economies, I think, raises serious concerns about macroeconomic management, um, and in particular about the counterinflationary preferences of public authorities. Um, those, those concerns, I think, are most acute in the, in the Anglophone liberal democracies, if you like, uh, whose economies have experienced the largest house price increases and which now seem destined, I think, to undergo the most spectacular downward recalibration in prices. Um, and also, those economies whose growth trajectories uh, have rested most heavily, not exclusively, but most heavily on consumption fueled by equity release in a, in a rising housing market. Um, though for rather different reasons, Ireland and the UK stumbled upon, upon, I think they did stumble upon them, consumer-led and private debt finance economic growth trajectories in the early 1990s. In both cases, this trajectory was secured and sustained, as we know, by historically low interest rates, broadening access to and improving <coughs> affordability within the housing market. The result has been a house price bubble, sustained, if not perhaps actually actually actively nurtured, I mean, that's an interesting question, uh, by low interest rates, um, in combination, I think, with a liberal and highly securitized mortgage market, um, discussed uh, in the Seabrook literature in particular, as it's now going to be, uh, come to be known. Um, <laughs> Such a market facilitated access to new and renewed loans, allowing equity release in a rising housing market to emerge as a significant contribution to demand. Sort of privatised Keynesian, Keynesianism, if you like, what Matt Watson, I think, has called uh, a house price Keynesianism. And what perhaps now is, is becoming a more sort of public-private partnership Keynesianism as the state takes on a sort of under girding responsibility uh, in sustaining or recreating the conditions for such a dynamic. Um, okay, uh, that was then, uh, in some sense, this is now. Uh, as is well known, a global crisis of confidence in mortgage-backed securities <coughs> arising initially from concerns about the quality of subprime lending in the US uh, and elsewhere to a lesser extent. Um, and to a somewhat lesser extent, too, inflationary pressures associated with rising fuel, energy and commodity prices have brought this seemingly self-sustaining dynamic to an abrupt end. The question of this paper is what happens in such a scenario. Okay. Um, the argument is, or takes the form of, at least initially, a, a simple thought experiment. Um, it is, I think, credible to suggest that governments in Anglophone liberal democracies now acknowledge the contribution of low interest rates and house price inflation to the economic growth from which they've undoubtedly benefited politically in recent years. If so, I think it's realistic to assume that they now perceive themselves to have a considerable political and electoral stake in securing the conditions for a rapid resumption in house price inflation. And that, in turn, suggests for me a potential conflict of interest with the formerly uh, formally, maybe formerly as well, uh, depoliticized agents of monetary policy. 
Put slightly differently, what it suggests is that governments may be characterized today less by timing consistent inflationary preferences than from increasingly differentiated uh, inflationary preferences. Um, house price inflation good, retail price inflation bad, certainly wage push inflation bad. Um, and if they are, this, they, they might attempt some form of covert repoliticization of monetary policy. The paper looks at whether there's any evidence for that kind of a claim. So very briefly, the, the Irish case first. Um, though it's US housing, the US housing market that's attracted most attention, it's the Irish economy which has seen the most spectacular increases in housing prices in recent years, as the data shows. Prices in Dublin, for instance, uh, rising sixfold between 1990 uh, and the peak in the market in early 2006. Um, but despite this, um, House prices in Ireland have thus far lost only 8%, well, actually it's more like 10% now of their value. Sorry, yes. Uh, your last dot is uh, what date exactly? Uh, it's, I think it's halfway through 2008. Uh, I, yes, I was trying to check that. Actually, I'm pretty certain, I'm pretty certain it is. Um, the figures now, it's more like a 10% loss from peak, but uh, at this point it's an 8% loss from peak. Um, but as the more detailed and disaggregated picture uh, suggests, if we were to look at this, um, what we see is a downward stickiness in prices, with sellers presumably reluctant to accept reductions in asking prices sufficient to secure a sale in a market in which the supply of and demand for mortgage loans has fallen sharply. It's the volume of housing market transactions in Ireland to date, rather than the value per transaction, that's been the first casualty of the Irish housing boom. And that suggests that house prices have a long way still to go. Uh, it's at the point at which the level of transactions uh, starts to rise that we might see where the bottoming of the market in some sense. Okay, moving rapidly on, the determinants of house price, of the house price bubble in Ireland. Um, the general context, as is well discussed uh, elsewhere, is set by the liberalisation of global financial markets, the deregulation of domestic credit markets and the liberal market economies, and the growth of global liquidity to which this gave rise. But factors specific to the Irish case are no less significant, particularly uh, the change uh, in monetary policy regime with the Eurozone entry in 1999. Uh, key here is the predictably suboptimal character of Eurozone interest rate settings for the Irish economy. Put simply, uh, as, as this data I, I think shows, in the period before the impact of the credit crunch, uh, Irish inflation was not controlled by ECB interest rates. And since 2004, this is especially true uh, of the CPI, which in Ireland includes mortgage interest repayments. Uh, this is why we see a growing gap between uh, the CPI and the EU harmonised uh, index of consumer prices, the HICP, which doesn't uh, include uh, mortgage interest repayments and the like. Um, uh, moreover, uh, that this is so has contributed further to the Irish housing boom since interest rates have been held lower than they would otherwise have been uh, if there had, say, been an independent Bank of England with a similar remit to that of the ECB. It would have undoubtedly uh, put interest rates up in this context. And what, and, and what perhaps about the period following the onset of the credit crunch? Well, as the housing market has first slowed and then fallen, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, as the housing market has, has slowed and then fallen, the HICP and CPI have converged, yet neither can be said to have been controlled by ECB interest rates. But that having been said, and important for the argument I want to come on to make in a moment, the ECB has nonetheless remained true to its mandate with writhing interest rates despite proto-recessionary growth rates. 
turn to the UK case. Um, a story, if you like, perhaps predictably, of similar but different. It covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> once again, we see a long and sustained period of house price inflation since Black Wednesday, but with a rather more precipitous subsequent decline. Uh, in effect, the UK case would seem to be further down the road than its Irish counterpart. Um, I suppose it's an interesting question about uh, whether we expect the UK case not just to be further down the road, but in some sense whether, where the road leads to and whether it really is a low road, high low road story, if you like. Um, moreover, again, as the more detailed picture shows, as in Ireland, uh, it's the volume of housing market transactions that, been, that has been hit first as housing conditions worsen. House prices have proved downwardly sticky. The price, prices are now beginning to fall more precipitously. This was written a month and a half ago, and it's, it's certainly happening. The transformation in personal fortunes that this kind of reversal in the housing market represents is easy to illustrate. Uh, in November 2006, when the average house price in the UK topped 200,000 for the first time, average annual earnings were about 30,000 pounds, and house prices were increasing at an annual rate of 11%. The wealth effect associated with house price inflation was the equivalent of three quarters of pre-tax annual average earnings, a significant source of equity uh, to be released to fuel consumption. Yet, uh, by June 2008, and that wealth effect had been replaced by annual house price deflation equivalent to 65% of annual pre-tax earnings. The link between the housing market and consumption potential had been severed, both by equity depreciation and also by significant <coughs> worsening in the borrowing environment. Uh, and this has contributed to very significant and marked changes in the pattern of lending. Um, as this shows, between its, uh, at its peak between 2003 and 2004, one in every six pounds of new lending secured in the UK against property took the form of equity release, equivalent to 2.5% of GDP, which rises to 4% if we include unsecured loans. Since then, levels of equity release have fallen markedly in two separate periods and are now the, equi oops, sorry, now the equivalent of 0.8% of GDP and falling. As this suggests, the throughput from the housing market to consumption, which sustained the UK economy throughout the 1990s, and indeed until very recently, has been severed. This, I think, is alarming, uh, since a previously virtuous circle threatens to turn vicious, as the source of the equity release that previously fueled consumption dries up, and as access to remaining equity becomes more difficult at a time of both rising fuel and commodity prices. Almost inevitably, demand will fall, especially for the more discretionary elements of consumption on which so much of UK's, the UK's growth and employment since the 1990s has depended. And this is only likely to be compounded by the pro-cyclical character of new labour's uh, labour market reforms, for instance. When demand falls, it's easier in a flexible labour market to lay off those whose labour is no longer required. So as the service sector contracts in response to falling demand, a series of self-reinforcing dynamics are unleashed. As those laid off fail to keep up with their mortgage repayments, cut back their consumption to the bare essentials, and in the process contribute further to both the shortfall of demand in the economy and to a falling housing market. Um, it's hardly surprising then that levels of consumer confidence and confidence in the service sector and indeed manufacturing profitability are so staggeringly low in Britain. So it's in this context, I think, uh, that we must locate any move that we might detect towards a covert repoliticisation of monetary policy. Um, I'm just going to pass over, over that and we'll go straight to the covert depoliticisation thesis if you like. Um, there is, I think, some evidence for this. Um, 
and it comes principally in two forms. Uh, exhibit A. Uh, in December 2003, ostensibly so as to facilitate any subsequent decision to join the single European currency, which at the point wasn't terribly likely, the government revised the Bank of England's target for inflation. Uh, it had previously been expressed in terms of the RPIX, and it was now to be expressed in terms of the CPI. In fact, I mean, basically the, the EU harmonised index of consumer prices. Though scarcely commented on at the time, this is rather significant for the argument of this paper, because the CPI, of course, excludes mortgage interest repayments. So in a sense, the Chancellor was instructing um, uh, in, was instructing the government of the Bank of England and the MPC to ignore house price inflation in determining UK interest rates, uh, or at least to determine it in the calculation of inflation anyway. Uh, and he chose to do so at quite an opportune moment, the moment at which the disparity between the two was beginning to open up most dramatically, as it had already done in the Irish case. The effect was to keep interest lo rates lower than they would otherwise have been. Yet there is a second, or at least I suppose uh, it might have increased the supply of letters from Mervyn King to, uh, to Alistair Darling. Um, yeah, Gordon Brown initially. Uh, yeah, there is a second, more recent, and arguably more significant episode, which might also be seen as uh, as evidence for the covert depoliticisation thesis. Um, this is Exhibit B, if you like. This comes from scrutinising the Bank of England's management of inflationary pressures since the second quarter of 2006. The contrast with the ECB is, I think, both stark and quite interesting. For as we saw when considering the Irish case, the ECB has continued to exhibit quite hawkish tendencies with respect to the management of Eurozone inflation, um, raising interest rates frequently and consistently since 2006 as commodity fuel and energy prices have risen. But the performance of the Bank of England has been different, indeed, if anything, increasingly so. Okay, in the second half of 2006 and the first half of 2007, the Bank of England did indeed put up interest rates no fewer than five times, um, and with some success. Yet thereafter, and even once inflationary pressures had come to exceed their earlier peak, requiring the Governor of, uh, of the Bank of England to start writing to the Chancellor, no equivalent action was taken, indeed quite the opposite. Since November 2007, interest rates have fallen three times, despite considerable evidence of growing, indeed, if anything, accelerating inflationary pressures, pressures which continue largely unabated to the present. In the context of the present discussion, it is, of course, not difficult to account for this. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm just about done. Um, it's not difficult, I think, to account for this. Um, but the point is that I think it's very difficult to explain such a seeming change in the monetary stance of the bank without reference to the housing market. In effect, the Bank of England has served to cushion a housing market already on the verge of freefall from the consequences of its own mandate. The bank, it seems, unlike its ECB counterpart, has come to share in the government's disaggregated view of inflationary preferences and inflationary pressures. Insofar as this is the case, monetary policy in the UK has been repoliticized albeit in a rather covert way. The MPC, it seems, has chosen to tear up its own remit and to adopt instead one driven solely by the government's understandable desire to secure, once again, conditions conducive to house price inflation. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but with no sign of exogenous inflationary pressures yet evaporating, <coughs> there is a clear danger that the currently accommodating monetary stance of the bank will have to yield to a more hawkish disposition at some point. What may well precipitate such a move is a run on sterling, something that becomes ever more likely each time interest, rate, interest rates hikes are deferred. Such a run on the currency would, of course, only exacerbate further the inflationary pressures arising from the escalating costs of imported commodities, energy, and fuel. 
This would clearly be disastrous for anyone who's entered the housing market in recent years while interest rates have been low, and indeed anyone who's released a significant proportion of equity accrued in their property over this period of time. For it would not take a large increase in interest rates to pitch a significant proportion of homeowners into a situation of negative equity. Painted in these rather bleak and albeit brushstroke terms, it's increasingly difficult to see how inflation in the UK can now be controlled without pushing the economy into recession or further into recession. In effect, the bank has simply deferred the problem of dealing with inflation for the time being, and it's perhaps easy to see why. Growth in the UK is now perilously closely bound up with the availability of credit and the release of equity, and both of those are now so highly sensitive to interest rate variations. This makes the covert repoliticization of monetary policy in the UK that we've seen in recent years entirely understandable, but it doesn't make it any less risky. We are, it seems, dancing on the edge of the precipice. Thank you.